Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to RUF. So glad to see you. My name is Lewis Lovett. I'm the RUF campus minister here. We're talking this semester about joy, about that experience, that feeling of fullness and exhilaration and delight and celebration and satisfaction, that, that thing that we spend our whole life chasing after, that feeling that we actually believe as Christians that we're made for because God is a God of joy. He's a God of delight. And so as his people who are made by him, we're actually made for joy. And so we're looking through Philippians and we're asking the question, how do we experience it? How do we get joy? And so tonight we're going we're gonna to see that we experience joy as we participate in Christ's life. We experience joy as we participate in Christ's life. So if you, would, uh, if you have your Bible or your handout or a device, if you would get Philippians 1, it'd be great if you had that in front of you. We're looking at Philippians 1, the very end of 18 through the end of the passage. Philippians 1, 18 through 30. If you would please read along with me as I read. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labors for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better." But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. (coughs) Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Do you pray with me? We'll get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of this night. Thank you for beautiful voices. Thank you for a chance to breathe and to enjoy our friendships with one another. I do ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd be at work through your word right now so that we could love you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, My favorite Office episode is the fun run from the beginning of episode four. It's exciting because, for a couple reasons. One, because Jim and Pham are finally getting together, which we've been waiting for for three whole seasons. And secondly, because at the very beginning of this episode, Michael is driving into the parking lot and he smashes into Meredith with his car. Meredith is okay. No one freak out. She just has a crack in her pelvis. Okay. Uh, And so uh, hilarity ensues, as you might imagine. And... um, Later on, I don't know if it's that day or the next day, the entire office goes to visit Meredith in the hospital. They bring her balloons. They all come see her at once. It's pretty awkward. Uh, and as they're leaving, Michael says, uh, hey, hold on, guys. You know, Meredith, you know, I was just thinking what would be really fun would be if you would forgive me in front of everybody right now. 
Because Michael hates that feeling that uh, people are blaming him. He hates that feeling that people don't think he is awesome. He just hates it. And so he wants to be publicly forgiven. And she says, you're not forgiven. And he says, but Meredith, I don't see why you can't just laugh this off and move on. And she says, you're not forgiven. And then uh, as Michael is like climbing on top of her, as she's screaming in pain, wearing a full body cast, it sort of cuts away back to an interview with Michael back in the office. Uh, And the question that has been asked that we don't hear is, uh, Michael, do you need people to like you? And here's, here's his response. He says, he says this, Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like a compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. My, Michael Scott is actually admitting something that is true for me and is true for you, which is that we have these compulsive needs. We need to be liked. We need to be praised. We need to be a success. We need to get all A's. We need for people to think we're attractive and beautiful. We need to get a job at a top four consulting firm. We have these needs, and we believe the lie that if we don't get what we need, our life will not work out. We actually can't be happy. We'll have no chance of joy. And and it's a problem because what we're doing when we believe that lie is we're letting something or someone other than Christ define what our life is. And I'm not talking about the meaning of life in some arbitrary way. I'm talking about what life is supposed to look like. What the shape of your life day to day is actually supposed to be. We're talking about the path that leads to joy. The way to live that leads to contentment and fullness and satisfaction and delight. So we're going to look at Philippians. We're going to see that the way to joy in our life is actually to participate in Christ's life. And we're going to see it uh, three ways tonight. We participate in Christ's life of production. We participate in Christ's life of promotion. And then lastly, we participate in Christ's life of purification. So first, we experience joy from participating in Christ's life of production. This is actually a really strange passage. I don't know if you, I don't know if you picked up on this. What, what Paul is sharing with his readers then and now you and me, is this debate he's having with himself about whether or not it is better to be alive or dead. This is kind of a weird thing to be talking about. It's a weird question to be asking. He's not sure, it seems like, if it's better to be alive or to be dead. Now, he's not asking this question because life seems meaningless and he can't think of a reason to live. He's actually asking this question because he knows that the greatest joy, the greatest good, the greatest pleasure is to be with Jesus is to enjoy the person and the presence of Jesus. And so he says in verse 22, What shall I choose? I'm hard-pressed between the two. If I die, I go to be with Christ, which is the best thing. But he ends up concluding that the best thing to do is to remain alive. He says, To live is Christ. To live is Christ. What does that mean? It means that to be alive is to be totally wrapped up, totally captured by the presence and the purposes of Jesus. To be totally wrapped up and captured by the presence and the purposes of Jesus. And the first way that Jesus describes that presence and that purpose is a life of production. He says this in verse 22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor. 
He goes on to say that he's, he's choosing life over death, not for his sake, but for their sake. For the sake of other people. He says, for their progress and joy in the faith. Which means that participating in Christ's life is a life of fruitful produ- production, not for your own sake, but for the sake of other people. That's actually the way of joy. It forces us to ask a hard question. And the question is, uh, are you living for your own joy? Or are you making the joy of other people your concern? Are you living for your own joy primarily? Or are you making the joy of other people your concern? And so I think the first challenge for us tonight is to consider where in our lives we can build in fruitful labor for other people. Uh, RUF actually wants, like, wants to help you do this. We actually want to help you live lives where you are endeavoring in fruitful labor for the sake of other people. Uh, you, you may know that there's a group of student leaders, a part of RUF, who, who support and, and run everything that we do. If, if that's something that you'd be interested in, I hope, I hope that you'll talk to me. I hope you'll talk to Ambev. We call that our, our leadership team. I hope you know that we want to encourage you as you pursue leadership and service roles in other ministries in your church and your community. Uh, our, our service team is going to be setting up some times to, to work at Campus Kitchen Project, and we just have this idea that we want RUF to be um, taking ownership as a community for some little avenues of service in the ways that we can, ways that a lot of you guys are already serving. And, of course, we want you guys to have relationships that are service-minded, relationships where you are thinking about your friendship if you want it to go deeper, where you're thinking about a community of guys if you want it to be stronger, if you're thinking about a dating relationship that you want to be healthier, that the question you're asking yourselves is not, what am I getting out of this relationship, but what can I give to this other person? How can I love them? How can I serve them? How can I care for them? We, we talked about this last semester when we talked about friendship and dating, you might remember. And here's how joy comes in. All fruitfulness, all good work that's happening is not something you can do by yourself. We'll read in a couple weeks in Philippians 2 that it is God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That means that the good work that we do is actually not just us doing good stuff. It's God working in us. So that when you engage in fruitful labors, you're actually participating with Christ. You're actually working alongside him. You're sharing in the load with Jesus. It means you're abiding in Christ. And that's where joy is. So even though it seems counterintuitive, when you give your life away, you find it, the Bible says. Because you're participating in the life of Christ, and that's where the source of all joy is. We experience joy by participating in Christ's production. We also experience joy by participating in Christ's promotion. This is a little bit of a risky analogy at this point in, uh, in the history, but I want you to think about the White House press secretary for a second. The, it's the Sarah Sanderson, I believe is her name. There's been, there's been a few in the last year, okay? Uh, I want you to think about the office of the White House press secretary, okay? The White House press secretary stands up every day in front of a crowd of people uh, probably around this big with television cameras from every news agency, around every major news agency uh, in America and around the world, in front of uh, print and, and uh, internet journalists from around the world and talks multiple times every single day. This is a person who is on TV, maybe not like prime time, but on some TV, uh, more than, maybe Hoda is on more, but more than almost anybody else who's famous who's on TV. And the camera is pointed right at her face. 
and they are writing down every single thing that she says. Now, what's her job? Is her job to promote herself? Is her job to get famous? Is her job for everyone to know what she thinks and what she wants to do for our country? It's not her job, right? Her job is to promote somebody else. And that's why behind her, there's this big seal. And it's not the Sarah Sanderson seal. It's the seal of the White House. And it's as if everything that she's doing is pointing and saying, it's not about me, it's about this administration. It's about this president. It's about his agenda, right? Regardless of how you feel about the agenda. That, that's what her job is. And that's really how Paul sees himself. He sees himself as someone who is not there to promote himself, but to promote the purposes and the person of Christ. Paul is the most famous Christian ever, other than the Lord Jesus himself. He did more good stuff than any other person, like in the world, other than Jesus himself. He planted churches all over the world. He has the most dramatic conversion story. Like some of us were really wild before we became Christians. He was killing, arresting, and killing Christians. And he says, it's not actually about me. I'm actually pointing to somebody else. When, when Paul is in this debate between life and death, he basically says, it's, it's all good. Like, it's all good either way. Because he's confident that Christ will be honored in, in, in his body. He says, whether by life or death. And later, the reason he's saying he's remaining is for, not himself, but for their progress and joy in the faith, so that you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. It means if you're a Christian, I know not everyone here tonight is a Christian, but if you're a Christian, then your job is to stand up in the podium of life and point to somebody else and promote somebody else, the Lord Jesus, who loves you, who died for you, who conquered death. That's what our life is about. It's about promoting somebody else. I, I have a few suggestions for you on how to do this because it's actually really, really hard. My, my first suggestion is to resist bragging. And that might sound like a juvenile word to use, uh, but you may have noticed that uh, you are at a super competitive environment here at WL. And we have this uh, way of, you know, we know who the top of the class is. We know what jobs people get. We know what grades people get, basically. And we have this way, uh, if we want to share that, of doing it in a subtle way. And what we do is we ask someone else how they did on something so that they'll ask us back. Do you know what I'm talking about? Hey, how'd you do on that chemistry test? Oh, funny you should ask. I did really well, actually. It's like I'm going to pretend to be humble, but I got a 96. You know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. Okay. We actually have to resist that. Because what it's doing is it's training us to promote ourselves. This world trains you to promote yourself. Because you're at a resume-building university. And the life of a Christian is to promote somebody else. Uh, the other thing I'll, I want to ask about is... Um, is for you to consider the, the ways you use things like Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook. Because I think there's a great temptation to use those things not just to share with the people you care about, but to brag about your life. To try to make yourself, to try to craft a Snapchat or an Instagram post with just the right kind of picture and just the right kind of caption so that people think you are cool and funny and like smart but a little edgy and outdoorsy but still preppy. You know what I'm talking about? Like the perfect unicorn WNL student. You know what I'm talking about. You're very, you're very good at it. I've seen them. You're very good at it. And so I want to challenge you to consider what motives you have when you're looking to post something. 
and why it is that we feel like we need to share a visual representation of every exciting moment that we have with everyone who follows us on Instagram. Uh, The last thing I want to say, and this is just a continuation of what we've talked about the past two weeks, is a reminder of the challenge to be promoting the Lord Jesus with our words. Uh, And I hope that some of you have had a chance to invite somebody to something in the past week like we talked about last week. I hope that some of you have had a chance in the past week to, to build a bridge with somebody, to look at their life and to see something about that that reminds you of the goodness of God and to tell them about it. And I hope you do it again this week. And the joy here comes in the same way as before. We can't reveal God to others. We can't do it. You can't do that. You don't have the power. God reveals himself to the world. That's what Jesus is. He's the revelation of God to the world. Which means that as you share Jesus, as you resist the temptation to promote yourself and instead promote the goodness and the love of God, you're actually participating with the work of Jesus. You're actually side by side, co-laboring with Christ. You're abiding in Jesus. And that's a source of every joy. So we participate in Christ's life of production and promotion. And lastly, we participate in Christ's life of purification. Uh, I want to reread verse 27. It says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. The, the challenge here is that Christ is the Holy One. He is the perfect one. He is the sinless one. He's the pure one. And as we abide in Him and as we participate in His life, our challenge is to, for our whole community, to try to make our lives not just our hearts, but our lives, the stuff we do and say in the world, be more and more shaped by the gospel, which is God's love for sinners in Christ. That's what Paul says in verse 27. He says, we stand firm in one spirit with one mind, I love this line, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And here we see one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith. That we are called to be holy and blameless and sinless and perfect. If you are a follower of Christ, that's what you're called to. And the paradox is this. We know we can't do it. We know we don't measure up. We know we don't even come close to being good enough to please God with what our life looks like, right? But in spite of that, what I want to encourage you tonight is to realize that a life in Jesus is actually still a life of progress. It is actually still a life of growth. You will experience growth if you are abiding in Christ. Here's what I don't mean, okay? I don't mean that uh, when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, that at that day you're like 3% pure. And then after 10 years of following Christ, you're like 30 or 40% pure. And then after 30 years of following Christ, you're like 80% pure. And if you live long enough and you try hard enough that when you die, you're not 100%, but you're like 94, 95%. I mean, you're basically home at that point. That's, that's not what I mean. 
There is no improvement that we can make that makes us good enough to almost be accepted by God on our own merits. We are only accepted by God because of Christ and his death for us. And in fact, if you talk to people who have walked with Jesus for a long time, what you hear them say, what you tend to hear them say is more things like, you know, I'm actually just becoming more and more aware of my sin, more and more aware of my brokenness and my need for Jesus to forgive me. That, that's the thing. You don't tend to hear people say like, man, it's been, been walking with the Lord some time. It's awesome. I haven't sinned in like two months. I, I've never heard anybody say that. Certainly not my experience. So that being said, even though we don't progress like that, we actually still do progress. We actually experience growth. And all we have to do is to look back to remember this, right? To look back to the beginning of freshman year. If, if that's not enough, look back to middle school, okay? Like we actually do experience growth, There are actually areas of life and struggle where we experience a measure of victory, even now, on this side of the resurrection, the day when we will be completely perfected in Christ. That's a day that's coming. We actually do experience it, even now, but it's really, really hard work, isn't it? Which is why Paul ends this this part of Philippians, the end of chapter 1, referring to it as the conflict that they are engaged in and that he himself is still engaged in. Conflict. It's it's a word that means competition or like a race or like a battle. It's war. It's hard, hard work. And the reality is that we do it not alone, but side by side striving, which means that you cannot do it by yourself. It actually means you need a friend to ask you hard questions about your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You need friends to be praying with you. You need friends to be texting you and asking you how the night went. You you need this. If you don't have it, you need to get it. You need to have that conversation with your friends. And, and of course, many of us uh, are struggling with all kinds of things, right? Secret addictions that nobody knows about. (coughs) Temptations of every kind at every turn. Self-control with what we do. Struggling with sinful ways that we even think about ourselves and think about other people. Brokenness in our relationships. We struggle with all kinds of things. But I want to mention tonight specifically just a a couple of areas of life that come to my mind. When I think of college and when I think of this idea of letting your manner of life uh, be worthy of the gospel. It's it's important because what we do on the outside, our actions are not just things. They are a reflection of our heart. They're a reflection of our inner character and integrity and desires and loves. And so as you think of the things that you are struggling with, as you are thinking about the things that you are dealing with, as you are thinking about the sins that you can't get a handle on or haven't made time to, my, my challenge to you is, why not tonight? Why not tonight? Why not make tonight the night that you have the hard conversation? That you make a change? That you ask for help? Why not tonight? There are, there are two categories that I, that I think of when it comes to this that are things that I think we all struggle with or have struggled with in, in various kinds of ways. But you can apply this to anything else. And the, and the two things I'm thinking about uh, are drinking and sex, everyone's favorite topics. Drinking and sex. And, and from the conversations that I have had with many of you over, uh, over a long time, it's, it's just become aware to me that uh, many, many, many of us struggle with temptations with what to do with the uh, excessive amounts of alcohol that are seemingly unlimited and are around us all the time and everyone around us seems to be partaking in it. 
What are we supposed to do about that if we're trying to follow Jesus? Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course you do, okay? And what do we do about the physical side of our relationships? Like, how are we supposed to handle that when we care about each other people, especially when the world around us seems to have a bar that is, uh, that is just so low? How do we handle that between guys and girls? And the question that I hear from uh, you guys all the time, the question that I even have asked in my own heart, the question I think is implied by the way we think about it, about these things, is this. You know what it is? How far am I allowed to go? Like, how far am I allowed to go? Because I know there's a line, like, I know the Bible says no about drunkenness. But, I mean, who can even define what drunkenness is? And even if there is a line, and I say that I know where it is, that means I'm trying to get as close to the line as possible without going over. Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. And I know that I don't want to have sex before marriage. Or at least I thought I wasn't going to. But maybe I've messed up once or twice or for a long time. But I have this idea in my head that that's the line, but certainly everything else is okay, right? I mean, that's all the Bible means. So I can go as close to that line as I can, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Of course you do. I I do in my own life and in my own heart with this question of how far is it allowed to go? And I want to suggest that that question is, is both unhelpful and destructive, is unhelpful in this discussion because it's a question that's ultimately all about you. It's a purely selfish question. What can I get? How far can I go? I'm just trying to get what I want but not get in too much trouble with God. And so we look at ourselves and at our friends and even, even God and we say, well, we didn't actually have sex. Well, yeah, sure, I was drinking a little bit, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't like black out. And we say these things as if that's like something to be proud of before the Lord. So it's destructive and it also doesn't work, right? And we, and we know this from our own experience, that if you have a line and you run up to that line over and over and over again, more often than not, you're going to cross it, right? And then we don't really know what to do at that point. And so what I want to challenge you to do tonight, and I hope you know that I feel the weight of what we're talking about, what I want to challenge you to do is to start asking a different question. Instead of asking how far can I go, to start asking the question, which is, what can I do with my life that is most honoring to Jesus? You feel a difference in the question? How can I handle alcohol in a way that is most honoring to God? That's a a good question. How can I handle my sexuality and the sexuality of somebody else who I might really, really care about in a way that honors God? That's my first question. Can you feel the power of that question, the difference in that question? All of a sudden, it's not about who you are. It's about who God is. It's about how God made things. It's about how God cares for us. It's about God, how God works. It's about his love for us. And it's about our ability to, even with our actions, do what we've already talked about, to promote the goodness and the love of God. We can tend to say to ourselves, well, Yeah, I know, but I'll fix it later. Maybe when I'm not a freshman anymore, I'm just having my kicks. Maybe when I'm out of college. Well, certainly, I'll get back into like a good routine of self-control, and I won't take it too far when I'm working in New York as an investment banker and I'm 24, when it'll be, you know, really easy to control myself. We can tend to say that. Or we can say, 
yeah, I know, but if you just understood how tempting it is, if you just understood the pressure that I am under, if you just understood the anxiety, if you just understood WNL, I mean, you just don't understand how crazy WNL culture is. We say these things, right? And I want to remind you that this is, this is written to us, this phrase, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel, is written by a guy who has been arrested by soldiers because of what he believes and because of how he lives and because of what he says and is facing the very real scenario which will of course eventually happen of being killed for it. That's pressure. He says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel no matter your circumstances. Why not tonight? Be the time that you finally start to apply a question like that to your life, to the areas of your life where you're struggling. And as you do the hard work, that slow progress of shaping your outward life around the gospel, you're going to actually start to experience the freedom and the joy that comes from obedience. Because just like before, remember that we cannot change ourselves on our own. It is God who works in us. And so when you fight for obedience, when you fight for holiness, you're actually participating in the life of Jesus. You're actually abiding in him, and that's where joy is. And and I want to finish by saying this, and this is really the most important part, is that this gospel that is shaping our life is actually good news. It is the good news that Jesus died to save sinners like you and like me. And so that means is that as I bring these things up, if you are feeling the weight of your sin, if you're feeling the shame of your mistakes, all you have to do is to come to Jesus. All you have to do is to come to Jesus who lived his whole life to produce the good fruit of forgiveness for you. To come to Jesus whose whole existence is a promotion of the reality that God loves and forgives sinners no matter what they have done. To come to God who is the pure and perfect spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come to Jesus. Why not tonight? Because he has good and he has joy for you when you come to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you use it for our good. Thank you that you wield your power and your authority to save us, to redeem us, to forgive us. I want to pray that more and more you would help us to shape our lives around the good news of the gospel and of who you are. I pray that you would give us the boldness and the courage and the honesty to come to you, even tonight. Thank you that when we do, we only experience grace and love. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.